Hello, I'm Linda Burrows. And I'm Peter Mayland. And welcome to Trust Education. As a trust, we're always exploring world-class ideas, including looking outside education to help improve our schools. In this episode, we speak to Dylan William about embedding formative assessment. Dylan is one of the world's foremost education authorities. He's helped successfully implement classroom formative assessment in thousands of schools all over the world. I recently caught up with Dylan to talk about his work. Thank you, Dylan, for letting me to ask you a few questions today. So to start with, um, what is formative assessment and why is it so important to effective teaching and learning? For me, formative assessment is any assessment where the purpose is to collect information that can inform judgments about teaching and learning. Why is it so important? Basically, as we've known from the work of David Asubal 50 years ago, the most important determinant of effective teaching is to start where the learner is. The only way to do that is to find out by assessment. Assessment is the bridge between teaching and learning. It is only by assessing we can figure out where our pupils are. Thank you. So when did the idea of formative assessment crystallise for you? I would say it's still crystallising because I'm still finding perspectives. But in fact, when I first started teaching in London back in 1977... I worked in a project where we gave students some tasks to do, a batch of maybe ten work cards. They would then do a test on what they'd been working on. And you didn't decide what they were going to do next until you saw how well they did on the test. So actually, I realised that for my entire teaching career, I'd been doing formative assessment. The idea was we wouldn't decide what was next until we see how well they did on the last piece of work. The idea that teaching became a contingent rather than a linear process. There was no next step for everybody. It depended on how the student did with that work. Yeah. So, in fact, uh, I didn't invent that scheme. I was just lucky enough to be put into a school where they used that scheme. And ever since I started, it seemed to me to be obvious that you can't teach well unless you're finding out what your students are learning when you go. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so there are lots of different methods, and you've, you've touched on some today, or techniques for formative assessment. Which do you think is the most effective technique? I don't think there's an answer to that question, simply because some techniques are more effective than others for different teachers. But if I had to choose one, I would say the whole idea of all student response systems. The idea of a teacher deciding what to do next on the basis of evidence from the whole class, rather than just the usual suspects. And that can be with many whiteboards or finger voting or ABCD cards. It doesn't really matter what, as long as a teacher is basing the decisions on a broad range of evidence and they're basing it on a question that was worth asking, that goes to the heart of the issues rather than skating over the surface. Um, formative assessment only really works if teachers have carefully planned uh, what they want children to know or be able to do. How best can they do this? I'm not sure you could say that formative assessment only works if that's true. I've seen teachers actually rescue pretty disastrously planned lessons by actually finding out what the students were thinking. But, yes, I think that, that there's no doubt that the clearer you are about what it is that you want your pupils to learn, the smarter you're going to be about asking questions to get that evidence for you. Um, I think for novice teachers, it's best to start off with 
designing a lesson with a single checkpoint. So if you have 55-minute lessons, just design a lesson, and after 25 minutes, ask a checkpoint question and get an answer from the whole class so you can decide what to do next. As you get more and more skilled at that, then you know, to, the, to the expert teacher, any point in a lesson is a checkpoint. Yeah. Uh, finally, other than um, EFA, what do you think is the most important training that a teacher should have? The really strange thing about teacher training in England is that every teacher I've ever met is in the memory prisoners. And yet no teachers ever get taught how memory works in their training. So I think there are two things. I mean, there's, there's cognitive load theory, which is about how to get things into long-term memory. And then there's the research on retrieval practice, interleaved practice, and distributed practice, which is how to keep things in long-term memory, if you like. So I think that we could actually improve education greatly if every teacher understood how memory works, how we get things into memory, how we strengthen memories. That, I think, is essential for every teacher to learn. Thank you. Partly, yeah. partly because it doesn't work the way that most people think it does. You don't need training on things that are obvious. You know, it's obvious that relationships matter. What's really interesting is insights from cognitive psychology, memory retrieval practice, cognitive load theory. They tell us things that seem highly counterintuitive at first. Without the research, you never guess that, for example, having a diagram of the heart with text actually meet, makes for less learning than the same diagram without the text. It's just not at all obvious that adding the text not only doesn't help, it actually makes things worse. It, it, you know, sometimes science is obvious, but sometimes it tells you, no, you're wrong. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and wisdom with us today. <clears throat> The best day of CPD I've had, it's been brilliant. Thank you. Um, a hinge point, are they the same as checkpoints? Or so, uh, uh, sorry, different? a checkpoint is the point in the lesson where you use a hinge question. So, okay. so basically, the whole idea of the lesson hinges around this point. Uh, yeah, I think I must have just called them hinge points then. Yeah, hinge point. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, and I've, I've been inconsistent in that. So, sometimes I call them hinge questions, sometimes I call them hinge point questions. Mm. <clears throat> so, the idea is the lesson hinges about this point. But sometimes we use a metaphor of a checkpoint, just because everybody understands. Yeah. And the, the ILEA, the Ireland Education Authority, had a big program called Checkpoints, which were just good questions to ask children in the early years about their developing ma mathematical capabilities. So yes, checkpoints, hinge points, they're all the same. It's, but I think the really important thing is this. You start from the decision you need to take, not from the data. Yeah. So some people talk about data-driven decision-making. And I'm saying that's the wrong way around. We need decision-driven data collection. Yeah. Don't collect data until you've already decided what decisions you're going to use it to yeah. make. What, what we're going to check that they know what they have to know by this point. And then, we because we have fixed groups, we find that really nice to then work with the um, students who haven't done as well, because then we have we split off to carry on about and we'll work with you. So we found it brilliant. For science, the work we're all... Uh, my, uh, my favourite example of that is um, a science teacher who's using many um, exit passes. Mm -hmm. 
So she asked the students in the Emdalas and explained the difference between mass and weight. Kids left, handed in their tickets as they left. Teacher read through the responses and put them in the bin. And I said, why did you do that? She said, I know where to start tomorrow's lesson. I said, so what do you learn? She said, they all got it, I'm moving on. <clears throat> I said, what would you have done if they all got it wrong? She said, I'd have taught it again. I said, what would you have done if half the children answered correctly and half the children answered incorrectly? She said, I'd have kept two of the cards. One good answer, one not so good answer. I'd begin the next lesson by putting them on the visualizer and asking the students to vote for one or two. I said, why didn't you give feedback? She said, I couldn't. They didn't write their names on the cards. I said, why not? She said, that'd be stupid. If I wanted to give individual feedback, I'd have got them to write their answers in their science notebooks, which already have their names on them. That's when I realized how smart this teacher was. All she wanted was to know where to start tomorrow's lesson. She didn't want to spend half an hour marking kids' work. She did decision-driven data collection. What's the smallest amount of information I can collect to tell me where to start tomorrow's lesson? Thank you. Well, Linda, that was great. And uh, it's fantastic that you were able to uh, catch up with Dylan because um, he's obviously jetting around the world, visiting lots of different um, countries uh, and advising governments. And I think he's based in the US, isn't he? But um, uh, we, we joined uh, now to, just to kind of unpack what um, we as a trust are, are doing with Embedding Informative Assessment by uh, Ruth Chandler, who is Assistant Head at Julian New Road Primary Academy. You're very welcome, Ruth. Thank you. And thanks for joining us. Lovely to be here. Um, and just, just to kind of kick us off, Linda, can, um, you've... you've been working um, with SSAT and um, not just within the trust, but with a, with um, a couple of other schools about embedding formative assessment. Um, so, what does it mean to kind of embed formative assessment in a school and in a trust? Okay, so assessment firmly sits at the heart um, of you know good teaching and learning, um, and within our trust, um, it, it's a non-negotiable. Um, and we were at the point where we wanted to improve our assessment um, in both schools um, and to develop a consistent approach to it as well. And along came um, the Embedded Informative Assessment um, Programme. Um, and through many, many years of research, Dylan you know, has, has proven um, that formative assessment really does have a huge impact on pupils' achievements. Um, and we, you know, both schools felt that now is the time um, for us to really focus on this. And we've made this uh, pretty much a non-negotiable, haven't we, in our school improvement strategy uh, as well. And actually, we kind of thought about that um, a couple of years ago. So why is now the right time? Because we, we've looked, you know, obviously we've worked for you know for years, as men, many schools have, as our, you know, with our curriculum, and you know, focusing. We, you know, both schools are using the walkthroughs to really get to the heart of pedagogy. You know, strengthening teachers' individuals, you know, techniques when you know when they're stood in front of the, you know, in front of the classroom. You know, whether it's um, scaffolding, um, um, questioning. Um, you know, they're they're used to using. Um, you know, the walkthroughs technique to really read, you know, define whereabouts in um, in the lesson, you know, they need to improve in, in, the, in their teaching. And, you know, we started looking at assessment strategies 
and found that there was pockets of greatness in both our schools. Um, but there wasn't an awful lot of consistency. So people, you know, are using formative assessment techniques daily, some very, very well. But what we needed to do was, you know, develop that consistent approach um, in formative assessment um, and also improve um, people's understanding of it. Um, and, you know, and I do believe that's what this programme does. Okay. And Ruth, can you just talk us through actually what it looks and feels like? Um, because one of the things I know Dylan Williams done is 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 really kind of put in a structured program so that the implementation is effective. So, so what does that what does that feel like from your perspective? Um, as you said, it is a really structured program. So it's all there. It's all laid out for you. Um, since starting it um, on the program sort of two three months ago, um, both of the schools within the trust work really cl- uh, closely with the EFA mentor. So um, regular contact with them. Lots of communication. Lots of discussion around. How how the programme's going, where we're up to. Um, we were very fortunate in both schools within the Trust. The TLC model is something that we've used very successfully in the past. So that model that you know for staff is already there and it's worked really well so far. And, um, and, and sorry, could, could you just unpack that? So that's a teaching yeah. and learning community, yes. isn't it? So, so for people who've not maybe experienced yeah. that process, what, what, what does that look like? Um, so how we um, sort of carefully, so obviously both of the EFA leads in both of the schools worked again with the EFA mentor in consultation with them to set up the TLC groups. Um, We sort of very carefully organised, selected people for each of the groups, um, ensuring that each TLC group, which sort of consists of around half a dozen people usually, um, is made up of people from a mix of experience. So we've got very experienced teachers in there, we've got ECTs in each group, um, and people that work from all different phases or subjects, uh, in obviously departments in the secondary from across the school, and um, support staff, teaching staff. Um, so it's really allowed people to collaborate and work together with people right across the school, really, that people they may not work with on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis. Um, and I think an impact that we've seen, noticed, you know, already noticed just in the last couple of months, it's really helped and really developed that sense of belonging. Um, people feel incredibly valued, and this is something that the TLC leads have reported back to us both, actually. Um, people feel incredibly valued within that 75 minutes, and also that goes on in between each of those workshops. Um, they've all got something to bring. Um, by no means, myself, um, you know, as the EFA lead and um, the TLC leads, we're not EFA experts by any means, and I think that very much has come across in those TLC groups we're all at the same starting point we're all starting off on this journey together um, I think the nature of the program um, by SSAT it, it, it everything is on the collaboration of everybody in the group um, so everybody's bringing something and taking away lots of different nuggets from those sessions um, it, it, I think what we're finding as well is the we just recently completed workshop three and already we're seeing that the format of those TLC sessions, everybody's really familiar with it now um, and the conversations are becoming richer and richer at each workshop. So we're, we're really noticing a good impact between staff at those sessions. Fantastic. And so there's, there's a degree of kind of consistency, isn't it, yes. I say, within the workshops um, and also kind of, I suppose, rigour in terms of what is introduced and when, but then... Yes. My impression is that the teachers have got the opportunities to kind of take from it and work on their own individual um, sort of tactic um, for about a month 
yes. in between each workshop. Is that, is that right? Yeah, so have the workshops have fallen roughly about every half term, mm-hmm. sort of minimum really. And as you've just said, the, the way the workshops run um, is fantastic. Always at the start of each session, um, it's a bit of a recap on last time. Let's get things off our chest, which is fantastic. So again, be, really people sort of but developing that sense of belonging within that group. Um, and then the new material is introduced um, and it's all there, all the resources. It's you know really well organised and everything, how the sessions run. Um, so it's not staff having to go off after that sort of hour and a half session and go and develop all those extra resources. Everything is there for us. Um, obviously, all really carefully selected. Um, and then lots of discussion around the new material those you know staff get to choose something that they want to develop when they're in within their own practice for themselves lots of discussion within that safe space that is the TLC group about how they're going to develop it um, identifying any potential pitfalls any things that they might come across how we can support each other within those TLC groups um, obviously what we're going to do less of if I'm going to be doing this now there's you know if I'm going to do this well I'm going to have to do something else or something less of something else so there's a really big discussion around that and lots of opportunities to look at all the material that Dylan William has produced as part of the program so some really insightful video clips and so on which I think for some staff they found really helpful because as, as they're reading the material, ah, okay, that's what it's going to look like. That's what it could look like within my classroom. Um, and then, as we as you said, sort of like setting up within those TLCs, little buddy groups where people go off and then over the next, you know, the course of the next month or six weeks or so, they get together um, very informally, um, drop in and out, it's peer observations, if you like, coming in and out and in a really, really supportive capacity, um, identifying there's really good examples of, you know, the EFA techniques that people are seeing um, trying to support each other about how we can move it forward um, any issues that people have had, any difficulties or just refinements that they want to make in their own practice. And then again, follows the same format at the next TLC meeting. There's time to discuss what's happened before, what went well, and then again, introduce that new material. And already we're seeing that people are, you know, that staff within those meetings are getting more and more used to the format of those sessions so they, they run quite easily <laughs> so people are really engaged which has been really really good to see that, that's great and um and actually i think that process sounds like it very much links back to um our appraisal approach mm-hmm. which we were talking about in the previous yes. podcast um yeah. and reflecting on the work of, of um owen eastwood yeah and again i think peter you know pocket park um you know which, which sits at the heart of our appraisal you know taking little steps which i think from what you were saying ruth mm-hmm. you know with the TLCs being, you know, half-termly. So given that time yeah. to really mm-hmm. focus on, you know, specific uh, technique. Yeah. Um, I think from, you know, my experience of being in a TLC, you, you develop a, a sense of trust. Yes. Which comes from belonging. It's, it's very much a safe space. Yeah. And yeah. I think, just speaking of what you said, Linda, because we are all very much, we all started on the same day at the yeah. same point, we're all learning, making mistakes, refining together. And that has really, really helped. And we've seen really good buy-in from staff, be that teaching staff, support staff, um, right across school. Yeah, so. That's great. Thank you. And um, one of the things I picked up from listening to uh, Dylan, and Linda, you're more of an expert on this than I am, but the, the, these uh, five key strategies uh, for formative assessment um, where he kind of talks about where the learner is going and where the learner is and, and also how to get there. Um, can you just unpack maybe how, either of you, how those things have kind of changed maybe teachers' perspectives or emphasis when they are assessing? Yeah, yeah um, so, you know, if we take the example of whiteboards, 
um, you know, used many, many years, you know, over time, you know, I've seen them in many classrooms. Um, and, you know, generally, you know, my experience of, of whiteboards is, you know, every student has one, the teacher asks a question, students write it on the whiteboard. Often, you know, students are, you know, peering over the shoulder of another and seeing what they've written. Um, but being on this programme and looking at the use of, you know, specific use of whiteboards, it really is, um, uh, you know, assessing, um, you know, to move the learner forward. So it's using that information um, that the child, the individual has written on the whiteboard and then the teacher actually making a, a change to, you know, um, their teaching, whether it through, you know, questioning um, or actually going away and thinking, you know, I need to do this with that child now. But it really gets to the heart of individual, you know, of the individuals, um, you know, what have they exactly understood? Um, you know, because as we all know, there's a huge difference between children being engaged um, or are they actually listening? Um, and the use of whiteboards is a great example here. Um, but I think, Ruth, you, you might, you know, I think you'll agree here that the simple use of lollipop sticks with mm -hmm. no hands up, yeah. you know, I say simple, it, you know, it isn't, it's had a huge, yes. huge impact on our children, um, you know, from those children that, you know, love to put their mm -hmm. hands up, you know, we've had to really tackle this with a culture change, you know, we don't want to dampen, um, you know, those children who are desperate to answer, um, so, it, you know, it's about fine tuning it really, you know, educating our children, even our little ones as to, you know, why we're no longer doing the hands up. But the the engagement from everybody has had a huge, um, you know, it's a learning curve, hasn't it? Yeah. You know, now you, you do see all children, you know, once a question is asked, you know, is asked in the lesson, um, you see them yeah. all thinking, thinking about it. Um, and it's it's bringing them as a as a class, almost a team. Mm -hmm. They are a team, so that you know they're all in it, and they can help each other as well. Um, so yes, the use of no hands up. Um, you know we've coupled that with you know supporting. Um, you know putting children in pairs. You know so they can support each other mm -hmm. with their answer. Uh, but Ruth, mm -hmm. do you, you know what what are your thoughts? And on I that? think it's it's for us obviously ultimately you know, staff within classrooms, it's about them knowing their children mm. and knowing when to deploy which of the EFA techniques. Um, and what you've just said, Linda, about the no hands up, um, you know, there was, again, a lot of discussions around, you know, the TLCs between staff at both of the schools. Um, you know, for some staff, that was unpicking years upon years of habits of hands up, you know, to answer a question. So there was loads of discussion around that. And actually as staff, we, we, we feel to, like we've almost broken that habit quite quickly, really, um, with the no hands up being in classrooms, being in assemblies. And as you move throughout the school, um, in both schools, you can feel that already. And there is that culture of no hands up and that everybody can contribute and everybody is engaged, as you said, Linda, um, with the lolly sticks, be it with the whiteboards. Um, and children are engaged, they want to listen. And it's all about, you know, staff have worked hard to create that culture um probably some to the TLC is that safe space that culture where we, we are all valued and everybody is going to contribute within those lessons great and just for going to uh, something else about no hands up um maybe parents listening are wondering yeah. you both mentioned lolly lolly sticks lolly uh, pop sticks um can you just explain 
what those are doing in classrooms. Are the children uh, eating lollies every day? <laughs> Is that the idea? <laughs> Not quite. Um, so obviously within a classroom, every child has a lolly stick, a little wooden lolly stick, um, all the same colour to avoid any uh, detecting of names or anything. So 30 lolly sticks, uh, each child's name on a different lolly stick. Uh, the teacher or the support assistant asks, you know, asks this question, poses a question, and then no hands up, pulls the question, uh, pulls the lolly stick out, sorry, and that child at that point will be asked to answer the question or respond to whatever has been asked. Um, and then it goes back into the pot, pulls it out again. Um, so everybody knows that it's, you know, it could be you, it could be asked, uh, you could be asked to contribute and, and to provide a response at that point in the lesson. Um, picking up on parents, um, what you just said there, Peter, I know in both of the schools we've had conversations and we're still having those conversations with some parents um, about, you know, the use of EFA techniques within schools and, you know, know it, again it's almost undoing that culture of you know the last few decades of hands up hands up you know the child with the with the tallest hand will often get picked and mm-hmm. um, that's not how we're assessing the children at the moment within our classrooms and it's about that rich conversation between school obviously and home and um, that every child will be asked to contribute we're just using a very very different technique at the moment with the no hands up such as the lolly sticks and in some cl- yeah, yeah yeah some classes you know they're not using the the lolly sticks yeah. they're using an interactive uh, version of yeah. that you know whether it's select a tool absolutely a knock <laughs> yeah. on the whiteboard yeah. yeah yeah and i think you know looking at um you know the five strategies um if you look at um the activated students as instructional resources for one another um for many years um you know as a school um schools you know pupils are asked um you know to to work with each other you know can you support um you know people be um, you know, ask people A, like, can they support people B? But what I don't think, you know, in in our schools, what needed, um, you know, to happen to to make this, um, really successful was working with the children. What this actually looked like, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's not, you know, what what they were, what conversations they needed to have between, with each other. Um, how they were expected to work with each other and how they were to give support, not just giving them the answers. So we've done an awful lot of work with peer assessment um, in our schools, you know, look, you know, working around that that strategy. So all in all, I, I, you know, I do think that, you know, as we move through the five strategies, we're seeing a rapid change in assessment in, in both schools. A culture shift as yeah. well. And it, yeah. and, it, and it sounds to me like, so it's not just changing the way that teachers check what children are learning and how much they've learned but actually it's starting to change how teachers plan Plan. and design Mm -hmm. uh, their activities how they teach um, the more collaboration that you talked about and really being very thoughtful about when to to assess and also make sure that 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 Mm. does help children to improve what they're doing yeah and and peter this this, you know it's teaching isn't easy um, I know, you know, Dylan refers to teaching as changing, you know, fixing something on the wing of an aeroplane mid-flight. Um, and that is exactly, you know, um, my experience of teaching. Um, even more so now looking, you know, now we're bringing in the, the formative assessment techniques. You know, it, it, it's, no, it's, it's not easy. But again, pock a pock, taking little steps with, you know, with these, you know, each of the five strategies you know, in the TLCs, really, you know, having those rich conversations about the techniques that could be applied. Um, and again, there's power in teams, isn't there? Mm-hmm. You know, yes. and I think people coming together for the same purpose, which, which is our children, um, is, is really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't wait. It's for two years, uh, yes. the programme. Yep. Yep. Um, so looking forward to see yep. how 
how that changes, um, you know, yeah. our schools. And I think we can already see in both of the schools some of the changes already. And as you've said, Linda, you know, pocket park, little by little, by no means can we do everything at once, but you can, you're already seeing and feeling that culture shift and those the different techniques being used without, you know, throughout the schools. That is great. Thank you. Well, thanks, uh, Ruth, for um, everything you're doing, but also for joining us today and explaining um, uh, embedding forms of assessment uh, to us. And thank you, uh, Linda, for getting your friend um, Dylan to have a chat with you and explain <laughs> it um, sort of personally. So thank you, Linda. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you.